0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. (sighs) Ah. Take a treat retreat at McDonald's right now. Get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Today on the Charlie Kirk show, I ask the question, who wants it more? Who wants the future of America to be in their hands more? The conservatives and decent minded people or the leftists and the arsonists and the people that want to see disunity? We dive into that and more, so please email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. If you guys want to win a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine, type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast provider, hit subscribe, give us a five-star review. Also, please get involved with Turning Point USA. You can go to tpusa.com, the nation's largest student organization on over 2,000 high school and college campuses across the country. Finally, please consider becoming a supporter of the Charlie Kirk Show. For our monthly supporters, we are going to be doing a monthly Zoom call starting next week, charliekirk.com slash support, charliekirk.com slash support. Who wants it more? To use a sports analogy, it's a jump ball. It's a loose ball. Who's going to sacrifice more for the future of America? I think we're losing. We'll explain it. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campuses. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Who wants it more? Who wants to win more? Not just win at the ballot box coming into November, but who wants to win the future of America more? Right now, we are in a struggle of the preservation of America versus the destruction of America. Now, this gets wrongly labeled at times as a civil war. I'm going to tell you why that is incorrect. But who will go to greater lengths right now to win? Someone who is protecting something good or someone who's trying to destroy something good? Typically, when it comes to elections, the side who wants it more wins elections and dominates the country. In 2008, Barack Obama and his followers wanted it more than John McCain. Worked harder, knocked on more doors. Now, this gets wrongly labeled at times as voter enthusiasm. Now, it's not completely incorrect, but it's multi-institutional. I'm talking about the small dollar donation velocity. I'm talking about how far the institutions are willing to go to get that singular individual elected or try to get a movement passed. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Right now, the left wants it more than we do. They do. The left wants to destroy America more than we want to preserve America. We are not fighting even close to enough. Now, I've been inspired by so many of your emails at freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com of how many of you are standing for truth in your own life. And I've said that problems that are not confronted multiply and you have a moral prerogative to stand for truth, to stand up against lies, to stand up against falsehoods all across the country. But I look at the lockdowns. America's about to lock down again. And I get thousands of texts and emails from so many patriots across the country that are asking me, Charlie, what can I do? What am I supposed to do? When you're really under the threat of tyranny, you typically don't have to ask the question, what do I do? So there's only one of two answers then. You don't actually think what is happening is tyrannical and you think it's instead uncomfortable. Or... You are so paralyzed by fear, you truly don't know what to do. And if you, do, you truly don't know what to do, th- that's fine. But I think deep down on a very instinctive level, you know that you can speak louder, you could organize an event, you get your friends involved, all those sorts of things. I look at the anti-lockdown rallies across the country. A lot of them are microscopic. They are barely a drop in the bucket of the rebellion that is needed against the authoritarians in both parties. Recently, our idea of rallying for a cause or for something that is good is basically let's go buy Goya beans at the supermarket while wearing a mask and waiting in line six feet away from each other. Look, I love Goya beans, but that's not going to save our country. Okay, I, I encourage all of you to go buy Goya beans. They said nice things about our president. That's terrific. Great. I led to the Tea Party movement in 2010. That was real rebellion. We felt like we were losing our country. People organically popped up in every single corner of America. Now, maybe the left is capitalizing on the fear of the virus and the lockdowns to go for the jugular and go for the complete and total destruction of America at this moment. Maybe. But we do know that the Marxists and the collectivists and the liberal fascists, they have directed billions of dollars in the last few weeks of corporate funds via the extortion of BLM Inc. to all their affiliates. Billions of dollars. YouTube alone, $100 million to black content creators that will be talking about racial justice. $100 million just from YouTube. Not to mention the billions and billions of dollars that has been pledged towards racial equality from JP Morgan Chase to Goldman Sachs to Bank of America to Facebook the biggest companies in America they have been extorted towards a common purpose of racial disunity in our country have conservatives stepped up our giving have we made it clear that our country will not be taken from us we have covered at length how weak the Republican party is i'm not going to get into that at length on this episode But instead of fighting, our side seems content to wait out this chapter in American history as if it's a bad thunderstorm that needs to pass, as if they're just trying to wait for cover and eventually they're going to get the all clear and they can go back to their lives. The Republican Party and most of the leadership of the Republican Party, the ruling class of the GOP, they want what is best for their country club interests, for their kids to go to some Ivy League college or some corporate deal. ...that they made a promise for, and they are inherently adverse from fighting. The left, they are willing to do anything. Get arrested, topple statues, spend all their resources, form new countries. Now, I'm not supportive of those kind of revolutionary tactics, but I am puzzled by them. Because the radicals, BLM Inc., and the like, they're fighting based solely on revenge bitterness, misery, and quite honestly, darkness. We are fighting for what is beautiful, what is good, what is true. And so many conservatives and Republican lawmakers, they say, well, I'm afraid to put everything on the line because I want to lose reelection. There are worse things than losing reelection, like losing your country. I've spent intimate time with some of these Republican senators. And I can tell you right now, our country is not in good hands under their leadership. There's some good ones. We have Senator Ted Cruz as our sister episode today. Most of the people that you put in leadership in the Republican Party have no backbone, no spine, and no idea what they are doing. They lack clear instructions of how to actually operate, and many of them would much rather have their prestigious title and a destroyed country than a vibrant country, and just be a typical middle-class, normal citizen. Many individuals say that we are in the midst of a civil war. I've even used this terminology before, and I want to correct myself. When I thought about this more analytically, and when I went into this deeper, I realized that civil wars are actually fought between two sides who have differing views of what it means to be part of the same nation. We are actually in a revolutionary war. You see, revolutions are fought when one group seeks to erase a nation and start a new one. Civil wars are fought when you have two different factions or three different factions fighting over to claim a nation they all acknowledge. That is not what is happening. The current movement to tear down statues, remove names, eliminate symbols is not about trying to erase the past. That is actually empirically proven to be impossible, unless you're in some sort of science fiction movie where you can go back in time and erase things that happened previously. This is a movement that is designed to alter the future. Without points of reference, you can't destroy history, but you can wipe out knowledge of the historical timeline and pathway. The question of how far have we come can only be answered by knowing where did we start. The question of where are we can only be meaningfully answered in relation to knowing where we have been combined with the knowledge of where we are going. You see, the current revolution in our country seeks to replace the factual journey of America with a created journey of America. You see, history is now going from the nonfiction section to the fiction section of most universities, not literally, but more metaphorically. Because the history they are going to teach our children is completely fictitious. This means that the revolutionaries are trying to erase the ability of future generations to understand the truth where we started and where we have been. They will replace facts with contrivance. Eliminating the accurate references to history after the perceptions of cause and effect. It also eliminates any evidence of history's trajectory in that sense, the revolutionaries are able to set any destinations they choose as being the properly desired one. And they can create and embellish history as they wish to prove that we are on that path. You see, the most common criticism of our beautiful country starts with its basic founding and the fact that in 1776 and then in 1788, slavery was permitted in certain states, but not all states, and that women were disenfranchised. You see, these Defects of that moment have long since been fixed, which is not at all ever mentioned by the radical left. Remember, America has made mistakes, but America is not a mistake. America's downfalls are universal, our positives are unique. America was the only nation to date that was ever deliberately invented. There's been other nations since. In 1776, it was the first nation that was ever created, that was ever founded with intention, not by accident. You see, a group of very intelligent people, they read all of the political theory for the past 2,000 years, and they invented this beautiful nation that we're living in. No different than the invention of the telephone, the television, the light bulb, the combustible engine, or any other invention... The versions of those inventions today far surpass their original version. By the way, so does the Constitution, the greatest political document ever written in the history of the world, in particular with regard to its full embrace of all human rights. If the past 220 years of history have shown steady, sometimes interrupted, nonlinear but unequivocal forward progress, which, by the way, is always in line with the laws of nature, of nature's God, why would we possibly be ashamed of any of the people and steps that happened along the path? What exactly, then, is the point of tearing down of history? Since you cannot change it, it must be to hide the knowledge of it. But why? It's in the past. In the do-no-harm principle, if it's so bad, Shouldn't the revolutionaries want to keep it as is? Shouldn't it serve as a reminder of bad times and bad people from their perspective? And would that not add value to their cause going forward? By eliminating history, what is their goal? They would keep history around if their goal was to reform America. But it's not. Their goal is to replace America. They're trying to eliminate that very nettlesome quality of human beings. That quality is called curiosity. If they can eliminate curiosity about America and its founding, if they can replace the truth with their own created narrative, then they can easily alter the future. You see, in 1951, Hannah Ardent wrote, quote, the ideal subject to totalitarian rule is not the convinced Nazi, or convinced communist, but the people for whom the distinction between fact and fiction and the distinction between true and false no longer exist. This is the effort underway in our country by the revolutionaries. By eliminating history, they will remove the distinctions between fact and fiction, between what is true and what is false. They can then replace them with their own contrivances, they then can define and alter the future. There really is no attack on our history. It's safe. It's happened already. This is actually an attack on our future. And this is exactly why Karl Marx, the author of Communism, thanked the French revolutionaries and Jean-Jacques Rousseau for wiping away the vestiges of Of the past. You see, this is an attack on our future. That has not happened yet. What does happen in that future hangs in the balance and will largely be determined by those of us who know our history and preserve the knowledge of that history. That means the statues, that means the names of buildings, that means textbooks, that means speech. In short, It means everything. In our fast-paced world, it's tough to make reading a priority. At least it used to be. A new app called Thinker, T-H-I-N-K-R, no E, has solved that problem by summarizing the key ideas from new and noteworthy nonfiction, giving you access to an entire library of great books in bite-sized form. Read or listen to hundreds of titles in matters of minutes, including old classics like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. The recent bestsellers like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. If you want to challenge your preconceptions, expand your horizons and become a better thinker, go to thinker.org slash charlie. That's T-H-I-N-K-R dot org slash charlie to start a extended free trial and put your mind in in motion. I highly recommend this. We like diving into great ideas, as you know here on The Charlie Kirk Show, so I encourage you to go to thinker.org slash charlie, T-H-I-N-K-R.org slash charlie. A lot of you say, Charlie, how do I grow in the great works of Western society? It's thinker.org slash charlie. And speaking of speech, the radicals and the left and the activist media At times they lie to you, but more generally and more lately, they aren't lying to you, and they aren't telling you the truth. They're committing something called doublethink. This is a fundamental and distinct difference. You see, doublethink was a phrase that was coined and created by George Orwell. George Orwell was a British author— wrote the most famous dystopian book, 1984, that accurately predicted the surveillance state, that accurately predicted a lot of what we are living through today. George Orwell thought he was a socialist and ended up coining the phrase, socialism is much more about hating the rich than helping the poor. George Orwell was a true free speech liberal. If you read 1984, it will send a chill down your spine of how we are living through 1984 right now. A lie typically goes like this. A parent will go up to their kid. Hey, why did you eat five cookies? The kid will say, no, I only ate three. And the parent will say, no, I know you ate five. And the kid will say, no, I only ate three. And you say, you're lying. You ate five. And the kid will say, "Okay, you're right. That's what lying looks like. Here's how doublethink works. It's not lying. It's actually a lot more dangerous. The parent goes up to the kid and says, why'd you eat five cookies? And the kid says, I didn't. You ate the cookies. A lie versus the opposite of the truth. Most times lies are a couple degrees away from the truth. The left does this so often. For example, They will say that President Trump and his campaign colluded with the Russian government. That is not doublethink. It's not. That is a lie because it's about 15 to 20 degrees off the truth. Were there some individuals that previously lobbied for the Russian government that had connections there? Yes. Does that assert the allegation that they put forward? No. Or double think or double speak, which is more commonly known, is the language that deliberately obscures, disguises, distorts, or reverses the meaning of words. Double speak may take the form of euphemisms, such as downsizing for layoffs or servicing the target for bombing, in which case it is primarily meant to make the truth sound more palatable. It may also refer to the intentional ambiguity in language, or to actual inversions of meaning. In such cases, doublespeak disguises the nature of truth. You see, as a Christian, this is why they call the devil the father of all lies. And Christ is the word and the truth and the life. In the book 1984, Orwell explicitly shows people learning doublethink and what is called newspeak due to peer pressure and desire to fit in or gain status within the party, to be seen as a loyal party member. Sound familiar, BLM Inc.? Sound familiar for all those of you that have been forced to post your black squares in social media? How is that any different than what Orwell warned us about in 1984? In the book, for someone to even recognize, let alone mention any contradiction within the context of the party, And the party line is akin to a form of blasphemy and could subject that person to disciplinary action and the instant social disapproval of fellow party members. If you dare disagree with the left or the new religion of secular leftism, with one of their sacred doctrines of, say, abortion, climate change, gun control, anti-capitalism or anti-Americanism, or that America is completely and totally the worst country ever to exist, they will sanction you. I'll never forget visiting the University of Florida. There was one girl that I kid you not yelled at the top of her lungs for 45 minutes straight. We get emails all the time at at freedomatcharliekirk.com of people that are kicked out of social clubs, kicked out of jobs, kicked out of their profession, lose close acquaintances, lose family members, all because they do not fit perfectly into the left-wing Orthodoxy. This is a huge difference between conservatives and leftists. You see, we as conservatives, we admit that somewhere across the country, someone right now does not think the way that we think. And we're okay with that. We understand that there's going to be differences of opinions. We accept that there is a complexity to the process of finding societal truth. The left does not accept this, though. There is someone right now in probably a one-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, New York, or in their mother's basement in Santa Barbara, California, that is looking up at their ceiling wondering why, oh, why Charlie Kirk thinks there's only two genders. And they're making it their life mission to shut me up or to shut somebody up because I just won't get on their specific propaganda line when it comes to bathroom policy. And it's ruined their life. And you can see this is partly why the left is so relentlessly miserable. They say they're for tolerance, but in reality, they are the least tolerant people in the world. In fact, they can't even see a world where people might dare be able to exist in difference of opinion with them. Do you ever notice how leftists are the ones that shout and scream and throw tantrums, and conservatives are almost never those people? It's because conservatives respect the individual, and leftists are hive-minded collectivists. And even more fundamental than this, the First Amendment is where the left begins their disagreement. To be able to have freedom of thought, dialogue, and consciousness, to think what you wish, to speak as you see fit, this is something The left is trying to go after as their primary target, because as soon as you can get people to stop feeling comfortable to say that BLM Inc. is a domestic terror organization, then all of a sudden they have won without ever actually having to get rid of the First Amendment. When you are not able to say that all lives matter or that white privilege is a racist idea, then all of a sudden they have won without ever having to get rid of the First Amendment. And they do this through almost a social credit system. You see, a lot of the BLM Inc. activists have adopted a Chinese Communist Party social credit score system almost, where people are judged based on their social media posts in the last couple of weeks. Have you properly atoned for your whiteness? Have you properly propagandized your followers around the BLM Inc. nonsense? You see a lot of other athletes that are popping up that are saying, A lot of you that posted black squares are now posting positive things on July 4th. You're no longer part of our movement. It's actually incredibly puritanical, if you think about it. I mean, the left is more puritanical than the right ever could be. And what is so incredibly ironic about this is that the stereotype of the activists in Malibu and Manhattan about the conservatives in Arkansas or Iowa or Montana is that we, the conservatives in Middle America, were the ones that are intolerant. And it actually is the exact opposite. It's actually that people in Middle America are kind of indifferent about what other people think. They're not the ones trying to stuff down their specific piece of dogmatic orthodoxy and silence other opinion. This is a cultish fervor that the left embraces. Merriam-Webster dictionary defines a cult as one, a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. Or, number two, a great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work, such as a film or book. Now, mind you, this is the left and this is the goal of the left. They have replaced the place of God in society. As soon as you remove God from any sort of society, it does not remove human beings' desire to worship. It does not remove human beings' desire focus on something that is all-powerful or almighty. Human beings are actually designed to worship something. This is why I have so much fundamental and philosophical disagreements with the atheist movement, not just because they're patently wrong, but I think it's incredibly societally dangerous. Now, it is natural for human beings to worship God, but if you do not have small g God in its proper place, then government will become God. Or the tech company will become God. I rarely use these sorts of examples. But Joseph Goebbels was the Nazi propaganda minister. He said, quote, if you repeat a lie often enough, people will believe it and you will even come to believe it yourself. This is exactly why Don Lemon went from a decent minded reporter to a far left wing Marxist activist who happens to occupy an hour of cable television on CNN. because I actually think Don Lemon has started to believe the propaganda that was being put on his teleprompter. And this is what we see from the Democrats and the Marxists when it comes to systemic oppression. They repeat it so many times it becomes true or safe to culturally assume it. You see, if BLM Inc., was stopped in 2014, none of this would have happened today. Instead, the NFL initially rejected kneeling because they said, well, we're probably a center-right country, and BLM wasn't as organized through their corporate extortion tactics. But BLM did not stop. They kept on propagandizing the public through our school system. They've waited there six years, and now the NFL has apologized. And now the NBA will have a black national anthem, all while repeating this over and over again. And corporations are funneling hundreds of millions and billions of dollars into BLM. But this is not the truth. The truth is that we are not a systemically oppressive nation. We are systemically good. But they repeat the facts ad nauseum, and eventually we believe it. And so when we go and say that America is the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world, and then a leftist comes up and says, no, you're a racist. That's doublethink. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not even fair to call that a lie. It is sinister, pointed, strategic propaganda to throw you so off your game, it creates a new normal that will fundamentally destroy everything that we love. And it disguises the nature of truth. So when you say America's a wonderful, beautiful country, someone comes up and says, you're a racist. It's actually unrelated, and it's a total reversal of the issue. So now let's connect this idea to the silent majority. Nixon first brought up the silent majority idea in 1968, and President Trump is invoking this idea again now, and honestly, he needs the silent majority to win in 2020. But the Democrats are engaging in doublespeak, and it's still out of step with the silent majority. Take, for example... The New York Times fired an editor for running Senator Tom Cotton's op-ed calling for the use of troops, if necessary, to quell violent riots. Which, by the way, a majority of the country, 64 percent, according to ABC News and an Ipsis poll, disagreed at the left's call to defund the police. And 72 percent in that poll believed that violent protests were not an appropriate response to the killing of George Floyd. With that statement, including 58 percent, that strongly agreed. But what's incredibly striking about these polls Is not that 64% disagree with defunding the police. It's that only 64% believe that. It should be 100%. The question for the silent majority is this. If we remain silent, how much longer will the majority be on the side of common sense, on the side of truth, on the side of law and order, on the side of civilization and the Constitution? You see, this brings up a point that is a logical fallacy, in my opinion, one of the most far-reaching falsehoods that has seeped its way into Republican leadership. They think things will always go back to common sense and normal. You see, these are very, let's just say, simple-minded people. They have a sloppy mind at best. These, these, a lot of these Republican senators, they don't understand Soviet history. A lot of them do not understand the threat That we are fighting against and quite honestly many of them are megalomaniacs and narcissists that just want the title senator so they can feel good about themselves because they never would have been able to accomplish success anywhere except the narcissistic ritual of running for office and so because of that they indulge themselves in this idea that things will go back to the common sense things will go back to how things used to be there's no evidence The things work in pendulums at all. In fact, instead, there's more evidence things operate, as as Friedrich Hayek called it, the road to serfdom. Was Rome a pendulum? Was ancient Greece a pendulum? Were the great civilizations that we study in Mesopotamia or ancient Israel a pendulum? It's actually so stunningly Foolish for people to believe this. But this is what justifies the inaction and the silence. It's so incredibly rare to reinvigorate a society. And I wrote about this in our New York Times bestseller, The MAGA Doctrine. And if you guys want to get a signed copy of The MAGA Doctrine, email me, freedom at charliekirk.com. The first five people that get this right without Googling it, okay, without Googling it, now, of course, you could Google it. You could figure out really quick. Who is the last good emperor of Rome? Trust system. First five people to do this. Probably you guys are going to Google it, but that's how much I trust our audience. Our margins are much less than they once were when President Nixon first invoked the expression in 1968. Trump was a miracle in so many respects. Most experts didn't think there was enough of a conservative base left to elect him. If we stay silent, is there enough margin of those of us who believe the truth to sustain America? We cannot remain silent. We cannot give into the cult of the left and their doublespeak. We've talked about the Overton window, where things go from unacceptable to public policy. And it's gone way too quick, so fast and so dramatic in recent weeks. If we're betting on the silent majority, I'm afraid one of those words may no longer be true. It might be the silent minority. And that silent minority might be correct. But if it remains silent, I'm afraid it will no longer be a majority. If it goes from the vocal majority, then we can still have a country. I'm sure there's someone listening to this right now where you got in a conversation the last few weeks and you knew you were right and you stayed silent Because you were afraid of losing a job, a position, a title, a position in class, or maybe some income. You might have made the right decision. You might have not. But if you're not willing to be vocal now, then we might not have a country anymore. I want to tell you about a friend of mine's podcast. I don't do this very often, but I've had him on the show. He's very smart. He gets it. And I think we're having back on the show again. It's Jordan Harbinger. Okay, I don't do this very often, but I want you to check out the Jordan Harbinger show. You can go to JordanHarbinger.com/slash subscribe. Jordan Harbinger is a top 50 Apple podcast and was among Apple's best of 2018 as well. Topics covered on the show include an FBI hostage negotiator teaches us how to get people to trust and like you. Neuroscientists, spies, and special forces operators teach us how to develop resilience and mental toughness, not to mention amazing stories from people who have lived them, from getting kidnapped by Al Qaeda, from escaping to going undercover as a CIA agent in Moscow, to illusionists who can seemingly program our minds. The mission of the Jordan Harbinger Show is to help you become a better informed, more critical thinker so that you can get a much deeper understanding of how the world works and what makes sense of what's really happening. We really enjoy this show, and I think you will as well. So search for The Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, that is Harbinger. I'm going to spell it for you. H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R. Okay? It is jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe. Or the podcast link is jordanharbinger.com slash iTunes on Apple Podcasts. Jordan's a friend. He's very smart. He gets it. He has really—I think he's talented in charisma, and he works his tail off, and you guys will really enjoy the interviews that he has. Jordan Harbinger Show. Check it out. And what's so interesting about the vocal left, and I I came to this conclusion while I was studying Calvinism, and let me be very uh, clear on this, and we're actually about to do an episode with my friend Rob McCoy, and you'll hear from that episode sometime soon where I'm going to actually ask him about Calvinism, because I've been reading a lot about Calvinism, and I spent some time with some Calvinists a few weeks ago, and I've come to the conclusion I'm not a Calvinist, at least at the recording of this podcast, I could be persuaded. I, I think it's less important of Calvinist, not Calvinist. Like, are you a Christian or not? Like, do you think Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and do you think he's the Son of God? I think those are more important questions. But anyway, as I was reading, Calvinism, and if you don't know what Calvinism is, began with the Protestant Reformation in Switzerland with Huldrych Zweivingel? Sure. Originally taught what first became the first version of Reformed doctrine in Zurich in 1519. Of course, John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion was one of the most influential theologies of the Reformation era. Now, Calvinism, of course, centers around a belief in predestination and the idea of an elect. Now, the elect are those who are predestined to ascend to heaven, and they were chosen arbitrarily by God to have salvation. Now, mind you, I was reading this. I said, that sounds like how the left views themselves. They have such a unmatched sense of righteousness and they believe fully that their ideas are holy and true and anyone who dares oppose them are sinful and can no longer exist at their level. It's it's this constant moral superiority. It, it's, it, it's very interesting because in I think in a lot of different ways, some people that operate is like, oh, yes, I'm the elect. Well, that's honestly what turns the people off from the left so often. And that's why I call the left a religion is they have a religious component to it. They meet with regularity. They have agreed upon beliefs. They proselytize. They almost evangelize. And this is also why they want it more. They want it more because their political belief is their religion. And those of us that are religious, large in part, don't think we should get involved at all in politics. The left are zealots. So it goes back to my original question, who wants it more? Well, currently, the left wants it more. I'll tell you when that changes. I hope it does. We are not marching in the streets. We are not fighting. We are complying with these ridiculous unconstitutional mask orders, including all of our elected officials, And the president's fought back against it as much as possible, despite the science on masks being very questionable at best. And even some of these homemade masks have no medical utility at all. And a lot of the time when I see these people wearing these homemade handkerchief masks, the only thing that tells me is you're willing to do whatever you are told, that you are willing to be a subject of authoritarianism. We are allowing our churches to be closed down again. We're allowing our business to be closed down again. We're allowing our country to be spit on, to be shamed, to be destroyed from within. It's a republic if you can keep it and if you can fight for it. I hope that we start to want it more because right now, the left is on pace to win. Right now, we are on pace to not have a country in 20 years. And it's up to you to help make sure we still have the United States of America and you could do whatever you can do in your own sphere of influence. I want to thank those of you that support our program at charliekirk.com support at charliekirk.com. Those of you that are monthly supporters, we are doing a private call next week for those of you that are monthly supporters, so please consider doing that. Get involved with Turning Point USA at tpusa.com, tpusa.com. Uh, get engaged, get involved, start a chapter, get involved on the fight on campuses across the country. Email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. And if you want to win a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine, just tell me who the last good emperor of Rome was without looking it up trust system. First five people that do that get a signed copy of the MAGA doctrine. Also type in Charlie Kirk show to your podcast provider, hit subscribe, and give us a five-star review. Time to fight. The left wants it more than we do. These are revolutionary times. It's not a civil war. It's either we quell the rebellion of the left and restore a stable civil society, or we're going to regret we did more 10 years from now. And maybe you'll still have that job, but will you still have a country? Uh, remains to be seen. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in, and deep satisfaction out. (sighs) Ah.